0: with monkeypox, we're really seeing this entire sort of international biosecurity state with the World Health Organization at its head. And they're really trying to normalize this endless state of emergency based on
1: whatever disease they want to use at any given time. Today, I sit down with Michael Sanger, a lawyer, anti-lockdown activist, and author of Snake Oil, how Xi Jinping shut down the world, we discussed the draft amendments to the international health regulations, the pandemic treaty, and the Chinese Communist Party connection.
0: When you look at every single policy that was implemented in response to COVID-19, you find China's paw prints on every single
1: policy, because it all comes back to the central lie. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelleck. Michael Senker, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders.
0: Thank you so much, John. Pleasure to be here.
1: Michael, you've been writing about this pandemic and especially its origins. Your book, uh, Snake Oil, How Xi Jinping Shut Down the World, was on my radar early. And uh, I actually think it's a very, very important, let's let's call it a historical work at this point. Before we go there, I want to talk about your observations about what's happening at the World Health Assembly as we speak and them working on this uh, so called global pandemic treaty. I'm just going to read something you wrote in a recent piece you put out. Take heart, the pandemic treaty won't annul your national sovereignty. That would be impossible because you haven't had any national sovereignty since March of 2020. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure everyone would agree with you on this point. So why don't you tell me what's going on here?
0: Yeah. So right now, The World Health Organization in Geneva, Switzerland, is debating amendments to the international health regulations. What it really does is, you know, it expands the WHO's power, allocates them more resources, more funding, essentially more of what they've already been doing, all this testing and surveillance, all these, uh, you know, big data. Um, Technically, these health regulations are not binding on member nations. They all, you can be overruled by the national sovereignty of any given country. However, when countries, there is serious concern about national sovereignty here, because when countries sign up for these, this treaty, these, um, amendments to the international health regulations, they are consenting and essentially implementing many countries just implement these rubber stamp them for their own national territory with very little oversight of their own. And so even though these, te- uh, these, amendments, this treaty is not technically binding, it it raises serious concerns about national sovereignty for countries all over the world because countries do follow this. And essentially, this is a ratification of everything that we saw with COVID-19. Now, going back, I mean, does anybody think that what the World Health Organization did during COVID-19 was a smashing success? I don't think so. You know, What role did the World Health Organization play first? They started out, as is widely known, by helping China cover up the virus next they rubber stamped lockdowns into policy based on very little you know lockdown is not something that was in any country's pandemic plan it was actually had no precedent in the western world since the middle ages at the very latest Well, based solely on what the chinese communist party said had succeeded in wuhan this ridiculous narrative that the super lockdown in wuhan had eliminated the virus from all of china just a few weeks after that you know china comes and tells the entire world in no uncertain terms the World Health Organization's representative of China gives a press conference and tells the entire world what China has shown the world is you have to do this. Uh, Copy China's response to COVID-19. And based solely on that, he tells the entire world, regardless of what their demographics are, their economics are, even their number of COVID-19 cases, tells them all they have to do this. And based on that, you know, one by one like dominoes the entire world starts to shut down. And that really accounts for everything we saw over the past two years, from the lockdowns to the mass mandates, to the mass testing and vaccine passes, this entire tear campaign. The PCR testing guidance from the World Health Organization, um, they issued this guidance that was also unprecedented. Western pandemic plans to you know, start mass testing for COVID-19 with PCR tests. It turns out that the cycle thresholds uh, that was were issued along with that guidance, which also came from China, by the way, Uh, the New York Times later confirmed that was an 85 to 90% false positive rate. It's an unspeakable crime what's taken place over the last two years. And now you have all these nations going to Geneva, Switzerland, the World Health Organization is asking for more power to do the same thing, not just the same thing, but more of it. And all these countries are saying, okay. That's great. Everything we experienced was just fine and dandy. Let's do more of it. And that's the real significance here.
1: Uh, We just had Dr. David Bell on the show, and he explained, uh, I guess, the distinction between the international health regulations that are being looked at as we speak and also this uh, pandemic treaty that is being worked on that will be uh, voted on, I guess, uh, the following year. I just wanted to get you to clarify that because it almost sounded like the two are being kind of conflated into one in what you were saying.
0: The amendments to the international health regulations are more immediate. The pandemic treaty, which is also um, being debated and being talked about, will be something that's passed in the future. And that's something that uh, will, you know, has not been drafted yet in any serious way, but will give the World Health Organization, again, a whole uh, host of new powers if. nations decide to go down that path as well.
1: So how is it that this actually validates these lockdowns?
0: So the lockdown was not part of any country's pandemic plan, not part of any, uh, had no precedent in history prior to the lockdown of Wuhan, China. However, after um, the Chinese Communist Party in February of 2020, announced that their lockdown of Wuhan was a smashing success, the World Health Organization rubber stamps that into policy. And the entire world follows that endorsement of the lockdown by the World Health Organization. It becomes part of their own policy. And this is something that they're actually working on. This is not even up for vote. It's not part of the amendments to the health regulations or the pandemic treaty, but they have simply adopted lockdown as policy. But
1: these are a legitimate way of responding when all the evidence shows otherwise.
0: That's exactly right. Uh, they are adding legitimacy to these policies by signing on to the treaty. When you look at every single policy that was implemented in response to COVID-19, you find China's paw prints on every single policy, because it all comes back to the central lie that the lockdown of Wuhan, the response of the Chinese Communist Party was, in Wuhan was so super effective that it eliminated the virus from all of China, this ridiculous narrative. And every single one of these policies comes back to what the Chinese Communist Party said they did in Wuhan. The mass testing, they said, you know, that's what worked in Wuhan, using the cycle thresholds that they worked in Wuhan, do it there. You know, um, lockdowns, mass mandates, obviously, vaccine port- passports has the uh, China's paw prints all over it. Uh, every single one of these policies, it turns out, was just, you know, kind of laundered into policy based on the fact that our officials and our elites were. Rubber stamping this lie that the Chinese Communist Party has succeeded in eliminating this virus. And of course, you know, even if that wasn't obvious enough, I mean, you look at this graph, which I put in the cover of my book. This is, uh, you know, supposedly the deaths, COVID deaths in China until Xi Jinping gives the order, and suddenly there's a flat line. I mean, that graph is, they didn't even do a good job forging it, but that has been the basis for the world's response to COVID 19. And even more. Vividly, we've seen in the last year, suddenly China is back in lockdown again. So, everything that we've been told by this biosecurity community over the last two years that, you know, copy China, copy all these policies has been, you know, belied by what just happened in China. Now, all of a sudden, they're back in lockdown again. They never actually eliminated the virus to begin with. It was just a really ridiculous data fraud that somehow got legitimized by the international influence, the global influence that the Chinese Communist Party has developed over several decades within elite media outlets, within universities, with politicians, with think tanks. You see all of them. The closer you get to the centers of power regarding the response to COVID-19, the more likely people are to repeat this lie that the Chinese Communist Party actually did. Uh, eliminated this virus. And it's very, you know, it's eerie to behold, because everybody else can tell it's a obvious data fraud. But apparently, you know, (laughs) the elites in charge of the response cannot. That's what's accounted for everything that's happened.
1: What do you think uh, happened in terms of, you know, COVID numbers in China, really?
0: To me, it's just an obvious data fraud, what they did in Wuhan, based on the increase in testing, with what in the early days of january 2020 and then in january 23rd xi jinping announces this lockdown of wuhan and they start ramping up mass testing using the um, pcr testing and the cycle thresholds that they then to- told the rest of the world to use uh, and you see those deaths and cases going up and up and up in uh, january and february of 2020 and then it flatlines and it flatlines simply because xi jinping and the higher-ups in the chinese communist party said you know no more deaths no more cases it's over mission accomplished uh this is very typical for the chinese communist party the chinese communist party lies about everything they lie about you know their economic growth they lie about the fact that you know every couple of years they come back and make another promise that we'll be carbon zero within a decade or two and of course they make no (laughs) take no action to actually approach that goal to actually pursue that goal of being carbon zero But over several decades, they've developed an international network that treats these lies that crop out of their propaganda machine as reality. And so leaders take that and they say, oh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party promised to be carbon zero. Now we have to be carbon zero, too. We have to cut emissions. Of course, for the CCP, that means nothing to them. (laughs) They take no action toward that goal. They don't, you know, they're still producing the most coal of any country in the world. Um, but the rest of the world actually does cut some of their emissions. And, uh, and so we see this pattern wherein Western elites are treating the lies coming out of the Chinese Communist Party as reality. And with COVID-19 that gets kicked into overdrive because now you have this very obvious, ridiculous lie that through this, you know, two month super lockdown of Wuhan where they're welding people in, they were able to eliminate this virus from all of China or nowhere else outside of China. I mean you think about how utterly absurd that is. Apparently this virus knows understands national borders very well because you look at all the countries, you know, China, this very porous border of billions of people. Um, you know, all the countries around there, their cases are all all at all-time highs, but you know, China's still insisting that they had, you know, zero deaths the entire time. I mean, it's just utterly absurd. The real story here is straight out of ancient Rome. You know, the tyrant Xi Jinping. Gave the order to uh, launch this lockdown into policy and suspend everybody's rights
1: around the world, and that's exactly what his cronies did. One of the things you noted is that in the international health regulations themselves, there is a focus on information management. If I recall correctly, so tell me about that. Yeah, that is
0: the most concerning aspect of these health regulations. Um, the health regulations, you know, kind of. Um, repeat all the things that the World Health Organization is doing, you know, they want more testing, more tracing, more, you know, information gathering, more non pharmaceutical school interventions. there's all that, but that technically isn't binding on member nations. They have to not just uh, approve those health regulations, but actually, you know, implement those themselves. And unfortunately, with many liberal nations around the world, especially, they simply rubber stamp those policies from the World Health Organization. So it is you know, very concerning for national sovereignty in that sense. However, in one area in particular, uh, national sovereignty doesn't matter at all. And that's in this um, war on misinformation, this clampdown on misinformation, because in that particular area, the World Health Organization is not working through nations. Nations don't have to approve this. They are working directly with um, unaccountable private organizations, supranational companies, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and advising them on who and what to censor. So that doesn't matter what country you're in. You can be con- in a country that's completely opposed to the World Health Organization, where you've done everything in your power to uh convince you, all of your leaders, your democratically elected officials, to not give the WHO any power. That doesn't matter because World Health Organization is getting funding and they're using that funding to work with YouTube, Facebook and Twitter uh, to censor your voice and censor those who uh, you agree with and want to hear their views from. That will have an effect on every country in the world, uh, how they respond to any pandemic, the information they get about any virus, regardless of whether they uh, vote to give the World Health Organization any power.
1: How is this different, I guess, from what's been happening already uh, when it comes to these this uh, draft of the updates to the IHRs? It's just more of it. It's uh, it's
0: really, I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's everything that we've seen, all the extraordinarily harmful activity that we've seen the World Health Organization telling countries around the world to engage in over the last two years. They just want to do more of it, and so when you see leaders signing on to these health amendments. The World Health Organization, the amounts to the regulations. They are essentially, you could say, pledging allegiance to this biosecurity system, that, this horrible biosecurity system that we've seen over the last two years that's done so much harm all over the world. And those lockdowns have led to, you know, the largest man-made famine that we've seen since the Great Leap Forward. They have, you know, deprived Children all over the world of years of primary education. Children were stuffed in mass for hours and hours a day. Something I can't even imagine. It sounds absolutely awful just to attend school. Uh, you know, they destroyed economies all over the world in 2020. Every single country in the G20, the largest 20 economies in the world, every single country had negative GDP growth except for China. You know, China made a lot of money. It transferred trillions of dollars, three trillion do- dollars in wealth from the world's poorest people to the uh, very richest uh, small handful of billionaires who got rich off of this response, mostly testing and vaccines, and predominantly those were Chinese billionaires, so Chinese Communist Party members themselves. And what happened here is an absolute crime, an absolute heist. The World Health Organization is almost being used as a front for the Chinese Communist Party itself. Leaders around the world, the fact that they are going there and the World Health Organization is telling you, oh yeah, let's do all that again, let's have more of that. And they're saying, yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's the power of the false reality that has been spun by the Chinese Communist Party and the World Health Organization. They're all signing up for that and pledging allegiance to that sort of false
1: reality. This is all okay. I read something very interesting. Okay. And and that is that the fact that there was this apparently very coordinated information campaign around the Severity of the virus and the necessity of lockdown policies that that was somehow, you know, kind of validates the idea that there's something nefarious going on, right? It really does. Yeah. Uh,
0: What you had is this convergence Uh, because in early 2020, what happened is that, you know, all the officials in charge got very scared because of what they were seeing out of Wuhan a lot of them started to think a lot of the scientific community started to get really panicked because they thought this might have come out of their lab, you know, that uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology, um, the lab in Wuhan was sort of a international center sponsored partially, you know, of course, it was in China sponsored partially by the Chinese government, but also by scientists around the world and the United States. And so when they started hearing the stories of this, you know, super virus that the Chinese Communist Party was telling them that, you know, this huge massive death rate combined with uh, the fact that it spreads super fast and suddenly you start seeing all these videos coming out of Wuhan of people falling to their deaths and you know piles of bodies in the streets and people having seizures all happen right around the time that the dictator of China shuts down Wuhan, the city with the lab in it, which is you know scary in and of itself, they all get really panicked and freaked out that this might be a super virus that leaked out of their lab. Instead of telling the public about this, uh, they keep it private amongst themselves and they inform the intelligence authorities and the intelligence authorities, you know, being the hawks that they are, react in extraordinarily dramatic fashion and they, you know, get panicked as well. And, and meanwhile, this policy of lockdown through a completely different channel through the World Health Organization and uh, through the Chinese Communist Party's sort of clandestine network of influence, this policy of lockdown is being sort of laundered and propagated into policy. And there are reports around that time in the, moment, in the stock tip from January 30th, all the way back in January 30th, saying that there is already a plan in place for the World Health Organization to start um, copying China's policy in countries all over the world, copying China's response to the virus in countries all over the world. and And the tip states explicitly, they want to start doing that in italy by shutting down cities in italy and that's exactly what we see happen that shortly after on the same day actually that the world health organization um says you know tells the entire world what china is showing the world you have to do this uh 10 cities in the lombardy region of italy are shut down just like the stock tip said that you know cities in italy would start shutting down shortly thereafter uh, PCR testing guidance is issued all over Italy and the entire country of Italy goes into lockdown. Now, seeing that Italy had gone into lockdown, the rest of the world considers this a legitimate policy. This is no longer a dictatorial policy. You know, think if you're the mayor of Florence and you're in the mayor of New York and you just tell people, okay, you know, I'm just gonna um, stop the economy and suspend everybody's rights. And you know, maybe I'll sometimes I'll follow the rules. Maybe I won't, you know, uh, because the dictator of China did it. And that's where I got the idea from. You know, no, everybody tell you, you know, that's nuts. Of course, we're not gonna follow that and that's downright treasonous. But now that it has been rubber stamped by the World Health Organization, it gets cosmopolitan veneer by the World Health Organization. Now they see Italy do it, which is, you know, part of the free world, even though Italy is historically, you know, has a real corruption problem. Uh, that gives it veneer of a legitimate policy. And so all of a sudden, you know, like dominoes, states and countries all over the world start adopting this lockdown policy. So you have this convergence of narrative where you have the national security community freaked out that they think this might have been a leak out of the Wuhan lab. Meanwhile, the Chinese Communist Party very explicitly, and they're doing this with their own media outlets, as well as bots that have been traced back to the Chinese Communist Party around that same time, are also urging the rest of the world to adopt their policy and the World Health Organization. So essentially, all the major power brokers all the major players all across the world are you know joining forces to propagate this policy
1: and get countries to go into lockdown in march 2020. and this is of course just to remind our viewers policy that has never been implemented before really early in modern time and against normal pandemic guidance
0: correct it goes against normal pandemic guidance has never been done before in the history of the Western world, except for, you know, since the Middle Ages at the very latest, but suddenly the entire world is in lockdown. And it also comes along, you know, not only had those who implemented these policies given no regard to, um, you know, what citizens knew about the virus, there were no votes on this policy. Apparently they gave no regard to what those would do to the poor. I don't think anybody will ever forget, you know, those horrifying images of the mass exodus we saw in countries like india and south africa where workers are just tossed out onto the streets you know these are workers who work extremely hard for extraordinarily low pay and suddenly the workers just suspended a lot of times they live thousands and thousands of miles from home and she is just mass of workers you know they have no idea where to go just walking on foot thousands of miles in tightly tight packs you know it's way to protect them from a super virus. makes absolutely no sense it was scenes like that that convinced me there was something seriously off about all this. And that's what convinced me at the very beginning that, you know, someone was manipulating these events. They showed no regard for, you know, Judeo-Christian values, that you can't just sentence people to, you know, die in some cases for the crime of being poor. They showed no regard for enlightenment principles, principles of the Western Enlightenment, human rights meant nothing to uh, whoever implemented these policies. But that psychological shock—it was so psychologically shocking—to see sophisticated cosmopolitan elites all over the world, in countries, you know, every single country—to see them simultaneously treat this as normal—that seeds the idea that there is a super virus, because once you've gotten behind that policy, once you've supported something so horrific, you know, the idea that wait there wasn't a super virus—I mean you know, this virus is later confirmed to have an infection fatality rate under 0.2%. We now know that the UK government has said that. John Ionitis, the most cited physician in the world, has said that it's, uh, you know, 0.15%, the infection fatality rate. Despite So there never was a super virus to begin with. But once people have destroyed so many millions of lives, especially people with influence, you know, people who are worked hard to get where they are, or they won an election, people who, you know, have some influence or power uh, to realize, wait, I just destroyed millions of lives for nothing. That can't be right. Once they've gotten behind that policy and seeds this idea, there must be a super virus that necessitates, you know, suspending one right after another um, to supposedly eliminate it, as China said they did.
1: So let me see if I understand your thesis correctly here. (laughs) Um, The CCP is looking to impact the world in a very negative way. It seeds its information, its false information to the World Health Organization, which effectively does its bidding. I think there's a lot of information out there of showing that uh, the CCP is uh, kind of coordinating with the WHO at the beginning around the messaging. Um, and then there's all there's this widespread adoption because of panic that this might be a super virus. But then now that that's been done, there's no going back, and they have to just keep doubling down. Is that your thesis? That's correct. That's a good summary. What we saw was a multilateral influence
0: campaign. So you had these bot campaigns at the very interpersonal level. It started with those videos, those horrifying videos out of Wuhan, which went viral all over media outlets that are all of which are blocked in China, you know, you go on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, usually such a, you know, happy, friendly place. Suddenly, you go on in early 2020, and you're seeing these videos and people falling dead. That's absolutely horrifying. That shaped people's, you know, initial impression of this virus. Shortly after that, you have these huge AstroTurf campaigns. It's actually what, you know, how I got my start on Twitter was reporting on. Um, the clue came in this New York Times article. Uh, They came out in July of 2020 and talking about how they had identified um, a big national security nonprofit had identified hundreds of thousands of these bots. And when you actually go in and click on them and you look at all these bots, they're all saying in the same words, in every single language, and every single dialect in the world, uh, saying, you know, oh, we're just sitting here washing our hands and sharing the same video. Uh, Meanwhile, China is doing this, you know, super response. If only we had a lockdown like China. Meanwhile, we're all sitting here locked." washing our hands. So this is a very clear bot AstroTurf campaign. So this massive social media campaign hanging people at the very individual level that's, uh, you know, very personal, what you see right in front of your face in your phone is that you should be terrified, you should adopt this lockdown. Uh, On the other hand, uh, meanwhile, you have an influence operation at the very top that the, you know, this policy is being laundered through the World Health Organization, rubber stamping this unprecedented totalitarian policy to be adopted by democratic countries all over the world, despite the fact that it suspends everyone's rights, suspends all human rights. And then you have um, the Chinese Communist Party's influence within other national elite institutions. And we have some evidence of that as well. You have lobbyists, fortunately there's been a resistance movement in Germany that's been sophisticated enough to dig this up. But uh, secretly you had lobbyists um, from universities within China uh, getting the German government to adopt these policies and you see line by line, you know, every single step to have, you know, quarantine facilities and mass PCR testing. And literally they suggest the line. This comes from the academics who act as liaisons between these universities in China to the German government, who have absolutely no scientific background. They have no background in epidemiology. They're suggesting line by line, every single aspect of this totalitarian response, including the propaganda slogan together apart. His lines together apart actually become an international propaganda slogan all over the world. So that's the effect of that influence that the Chinese Communist Party has built up within elite institutions all over the world, within universities, think tanks, among politicians and media outlets, that suddenly get this huge convergence of narrative all over the world where uh, national security officials and scientists are terrified because they don't know if it's a virus, super virus that leaked out of lab, And the World Health Organization is telling you to lock down and, um, you know, universities and media outlets are going along with it because they have these relationships with China that don't want to endanger. So they don't want to question what comes out of China, the narrative coming out of China. And then you have this uh, social media terror propaganda. So it's no accident that even though this policy of lockdown had no precedent and wasn't part of any pandemic plan, suddenly you get this huge buy-in across the entire population because all this deliberately induced mass hysteria to get people to buy into that policy. And a big part of what we're doing as activists is, you know, unraveling all that, showing all the manipulation that went into that because to tell people that it's okay, even if you were terrorized, terrified into supporting those policies in March 2020, I mean, there was military-grade propaganda
1: getting you to buy into that. I'm reminded of an interview I did with Dr. Robert Epstein, where we talk about how there's this kind of feature of human psychology that if you dupe somebody, um, and even you show them the evidence that, that you were able to dupe them or manipulate them, they're very unlikely to accept it. I guess my question is, um, is an information campaign like this enough?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just as Mark Twain said, it's much easier to fool someone than it is to convince them that they've been fooled. We saw that in a big way during COVID-19. And especially because that initial tear campaign, um, and the impact of it was so you know, enormous. Uh, you know, once people buy into that initial lockdown narrative that you need to, um, you know, suspend everyone's rights, suspend the entire economy, throw small business owners under the bus, throw children under the bus and some of their brightest years, throw the poor under the bus, especially many of whom, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, were first to starve. Once you've supported something like that, it's just very, very difficult for to tell to say that, you know, realize that you supported all that for nothing. People's egos become attached to it. Because they become attached to the idea that there is a super virus out there. And it accounts for so much of what we saw over the last two years. This is all deeply rooted in the history of the Chinese Communist Party, you know, going all the way back to how they won the Chinese Civil War. Um, you know, Chinese Communist Party was very, very tiny during the Chinese Civil War. There was only 0.01% of the population. But they convinced millions and millions of people to fight on their behalf. Um, promising that you know they would share everything once they won the war. Of course, the exact opposite happened. I mean, absolutely grisly um, history. Mao Zedong, of course, is one of the most ruthless and manipulative tyrants in all of human history. I mean, within three years after they won the war, a huge portion, nearly 80% of China's population has been forced to participate in mass accusation meetings and public executions. It's just absolutely horrifying. And Of course, after that, you get the um, the Great Leap Forward, the largest man-made famine in human history. And during the Great Leap Forward, you know, all of China's population was moved on to uh, communes with very strict production quotas uh, and produced very little to show for it. It was extraordinarily inefficient, and that led to a rapid decline in food production. But experts around the world, China experts out around the world at the time who were, you know, in the party line, and uh, this is, you know, what you would hear if you're a contemporary at the time, insisted there was no famine going on. During the largest man made famine in human history, experts around the world who spoke as, uh, you know, experts on China, were insisting there was no famine. Um, and that was the party line within China at the time that was that, you know, even if there was hunger, that was just a result of bad weather. Um, if you insinuated that communism you know, forcing everyone on the communes that Mao Zedong's policies were the result of famine. If you said that within China at that time, of course, you know, uh, you would be censored, you know, excommunicated and, uh, you know, re-educated. It was absolutely horrifying, but that's the sort of false reality that Mao Zedong either deliberately or just uh, kind of stupidly created. And you can see how the Chinese Communist Party in a lot of ways deliberately sort of exported that to elites all over the world with COVID-19. Because just as Bao Zedong rejected any evidence before his own eyes that his policies were leading to this absolute horrible famine, he didn't want to accept that. And so you know his sycophants who were surrounding him would not um, suggest or insinuate that his policies were leading to this famine. You see that with Western elites now, that especially ones who have been closely involved in the pandemic response, who have close relations with China themselves, like. Uh, you know, Michael Bloomberg, like Bill Gates, um, you know, other powerful elites around the world rejecting ev- any evidence in front of their own eyes that these lockdowns are the cause of all these problems. I mean, you know, all on, around the world are kind of kissing up to them by saying that, you know, oh, it wasn't lockdowns that caused all these school closures, even though we should deliberately, you know, we announced very explicitly that it was school closures. Oh, it's the pandemic the pandemic shut down schools, even though, you know, we explicitly gave the orders to shut down school that was a pandemic it was inevitable, those, uh, you know, we had no choice but to do that. Um, they say the same thing about, you know, famine, they don't deny that it happened. But it's so oh, you know, that was the pandemic that did that. That was not lockdowns, even though we deliberately threw everyone out of work. That was just the pandemic. It's way to relieve people of responsibility, because especially those very sort of egotistical leaders don't want to accept any information to the contrary, and don't want to acknowledge the role they played in this.
1: Michael, I'm going to read a long quote from one of your articles in Tablet, which really struck me here. Here's what you say. For Xi Jinping, lockdown was never about a virus. It was about sending a message that, stripped of all disguise, the illusion of virtue, competence, and commitment to human rights among the Western political class is nothing more than conformity with easily subvertible norms and institutions passed down by prior generations. As lockdown policies grind on into their 18th month, this is when you wrote the piece, it's increasingly difficult to disagree with him.
0: That's, I think a lot of people love that line because it really sums up everything that we saw in the last two years uh, during COVID-19. That I think we elect leaders to office and we support these elites, believing that they are the guardians of enlightenment principles. They understand them and understand how our institutions and how our principles and rights work to act as the guardians of them, not to violate them unless absolutely necessary. And then the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping comes along, you know, absolute dictator um, kicks China's influence campaign, influence network into absolute overdrive with this, uh, with this operation. And um, shows that just by sharing some bad information, he could essentially, um, you know, get Western leaders to more and more, uh, just abandon these enlightened principles and human rights altogether. We think of them as the guardians of these principles, but really, you know, it turns out they're not that special. I think the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, I was not aware of that before COVID-19. Um, but the Chinese Communist Party, I think, over the last two years, really managed to succeed in proving that that they got these leaders to um, adopt and support, and frankly, censor anybody who did not support. Uh, each of these very, very illiberal, totalitarian, ineffective, unprecedented, and completely dumb policies. Uh, Every single one of these policies you look is not only unprecedented, but it almost looks like it's specifically targeted to undermine a given principle of the enlightenment or given human right. All these principles are ones that, you know, are forebears. These are not small things. These are principles that our forebears fought long and hard to secure for us. This is our, you know, inheritance as part of the free world, the one we should absolutely never take for granted. But lockdowns, you know, undermine all that very quickly. The right to free movement, the right to uh, earn a living. Um, You look at mass vaccine mandates, obviously undermine the right to bodily autonomy. And worst of all, throughout all of COVID-19, you get the censorship on the flimsy of, flows as a pretext. Uh, you know, all these policies are very pretextual. They don't actually do anything to prevent a super virus. You know, all of them have been very, you know, um, widely shown to be completely ineffective and really meaningfully slowing the spread of a uh, respiratory virus like COVID-19. But they all sow the illusion that there is a super virus out there. You look, walk down the street, you see people wearing masks everywhere. It maintains that illusion that there is a super virus. They can justify anything, justify this perpetual state of emergency. I think, uh, you know, many countries even to this day are still in the COVID-19 state of emergency, will not uh, go back on that. Just so they, And that allows them to violate any right, do anything uh, whenever they want. It's a complete undermining of constitutional democracy and the principles of the Enlightenment, all based on this essentially false flag around this super virus that um, came out of Wuhan. And so I think the Chinese Communist Party in that sense really laid bare that our leaders are not that special, not that different from the leaders of the Chinese Communist Party, frankly. They are not necessarily guardians of our rights. And once their ego has bought into this policy of lockdown, this idea that there's a super virus, there is no end to the illiberalism that they will support. I think in many ways COVID-19 was a, you know, the Chinese Communist Party's largest recruiting event, because once elites buy into that narrative that there is a super virus that justifies suspending um, any right and supporting all these previously unthinkable um, and illiberal emergency measures, that you know they have become tyrants for all intents and purposes. I mean, they become part of the Chinese Communist Party when they repeat that lie. That this is all effective in China, and that's how China eliminated the virus. I mean, that's all the that Chinese Communist Party requires of its members to toe the party line. And when you see elites all over the world toeing that party line, they become CCP me, members for all intents and purposes.
1: <laughs> that's a fascinating way to put it, Michael. So why is this now being codified uh, into, you know, the regulate, international health regulations? it's all a normalization process.
0: It's a very long term normalization process. And this, uh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party has been cultivating the World Health Organization. This has been written about in elite media outlets and something they couldn't even hide because it's so uh, explicit. The Chinese Communist Party has been cultivating the World Health Organization over the course of a decade and perhaps even before that over many, many years to have this level of influence in the World Health Organization. Um, and by legitimizing these policies, all these policies uh, have been on the WHO's books in some form or another for a long time, but this adds legitimacy to them. It, the amends to the health regulations and the treaty after that, um, you know, codifies it, it asks for more funding, asks for the WHO to do even more of this, um, creates this narrative that you know actually everything that happened in response to COVID-19 was perfectly okay, We saved tons of lives, you know, millions of lives, billions of lives, who counting, uh, but all because of this really heavy handed totalitarian response around the world. And so the only problem was that we need to do it even more next time. We have more, you know, mandates, more um, testing, increasing, uh, you know, lockdowns and vaccine passes. That's a big one always, you know, pushing those digital vaccine passes. It adds legitimacy and it gets leaders around the world to, um, you know, essentially, Pledge loyalty to this false narrative that all this was necessary and all that, all of it was legitimate, and that uh, you know it should be done again.
1: Given everything we've just talked about, okay, you actually also have some thoughts about you know we're learning that there's monkeypox among us now, right? And we're learning that um, I believe the you know President Biden said that everyone should be worried about this, for example, and. Um, you know, this is a very, very different kind of virus, as I understand it. Um, it's a venereal disease. This is not. An, this is not an airborne virus. So, so what is it that you make of all this? You have a. You 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 have some thoughts.
0: Yeah. So again, like you were saying, I mean, this may well be a venereal disease. Um, you know, may well not even be airborne like COVID nineteen was. This narrative doesn't make any sense at all. It's just like the COVID narrative never made sense from the beginning. But suddenly we see this entire biosecurity apparatus launching into the same tear campaign, um, advocating the same policies. I think it was health officials in New York were talking about bringing back mask mandates for monkeypox, despite the fact that it's widely believed to be a venereal disease. I mean, absolutely nuts. But that's how hard uh, they're pushing to try to get this power back and try to normalize these mandates yet again. They're using monkeypox as a pretext for this. So this is, you know, monkeypox has been around. It was first discovered in the 1950s, uh, first found in the human 1970s. So um, been around for a very, very long time. Um, previously, really only had outbreaks in Africa. So this is supposedly the world's very first monkey, global monkeypox outbreak. And so the media, you know, elite media outlets all over the world, the New York Times are, you know, breaking, you know, red alert, um, on red alert over monkeypox. And you see this entire bio, biosecurity apparatus going back on red alert because of monkeypox. But it turns out that a year ago, there was a simulation of a monkeypox outbreak at exactly this week and exactly this month of May May 2022. What are the odds? And that gives new significance to another simulation that happened before COVID called Event 201. And Event 201 is a simulation of a big coronavirus pandemic. And pretty much everything that was hypothesized in Event 201 came true just shortly after, just a couple months later with COVID-19. They hypothesized, you know, massive pandemic, you know, mass testing for it, and essentially simulated the entire response to it with all these China-friendly organizations, the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, the Gates Foundation, and many, many high level national security officials were involved in the simulation. And after you know, they had the simulation, all the events soon after came true, there was dead silence from all the participants as to the fact they had just simulated something that just happened with the COVID team. But you know it was plausible to say at that time that, oh, okay, you know that's just a coincidence. We do these simulations every now and then every year or so. So, okay, that could have been a coincidence. But now we have not once but twice within two years, they run a simulation of a massive, you know, unprecedented outbreak, the facts of which have to come true just months later. The participants, our officials, are stone silent about the fact that their simulation, the events are now coming true in real life. What does that mean? I mean, I don't, does that mean that someone's out there infecting people with monkeypox to make these events come real? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, but or it could be that the media and this biosecurity machine that um, caused so much ca- such catastrophic and heavy-handed effects during COVID-19 is just going back into um, full tilt, full tilt hysteria, pro- hysteria mode, and essentially fabricating what is supposedly the world's very first monkeypox outbreak, just with you know hysterical images and uh, maybe identifying cases that. Always existed, and now they're just looking for it, and it's there. Someone's not playing straight
1: with us here. So, I I, I want to try to grasp what you think the significance of the these you know coincidences, which you're saying are not coincidences, actually means.
0: So I'm not sitting here and saying that you know the biosecurity folks are engaging in bioterrorism by you know unleashing super viruses all over the world. I don't think any you know human being would do that. Um, or especially, you know, groups of human beings. But what I am saying is that this has now happened not only once, but twice. So previously with event 201 and those who knew about it, this was a simulation of a coronavirus pandemic happening just a couple months before, you know, what was supposedly the world's largest ever coronavirus pandemic. Um, And we didn't get any word from the uh, participants and the officials involved that there was anything unusual about this. They didn't, you know, make note of it, um, make any announcements. You know, it was an event that was attended by our own officials sitting li- right alongside, you know, high level officials from the Chinese Communist Party. And suddenly we're taking these policies in response to this virus straight from China, based on information that they gave us uh, about this virus. And based on that, implementing these policies that also came from China, to supposedly get rid of this virus. I mean, it's, it sounds ridiculous because it is so utterly farcical in real life that we do this, despite knowing that the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping is our chief geopolitical rival. It's a absolutely farcical national security hole, and it's one that seriously needs attention.
1: So I'm very curious what will happen with monkeypox, but I actually think you know, for a lot of people watching uh, let's call it, uh, you know, infectious disease. A lot more closely these days. Um, we now have a lot of information about what can happen at the very least, right? And so, you know, what, what, what do you see are uh, the implications of of the response of how we're going to respond to uh, monkeypox?
0: So with monkeypox, we're really seeing this entire sort of biosecurity, this international biosecurity state with the World Health Organization at its head, able to declare an emergency anytime they want with an entire, you know, planned out bureaucracy and all the things that they're trying to normalize all over the world. We're seeing that go back into motion. And you're getting this huge tear campaign coming out of the media about the first ever global monkeypox outbreak. And they're really trying to normalize this endless state of emergency based on whatever disease they want to use at any given time. And, you know, we're already starting to hear talk about bringing back these um, mandates, these illiberal mandates based on monkey box now. Will they actually get away with that? I have no idea. Um, I don't know if the population has had enough. I think fortunately, you know, our resistance has been pretty effective, especially on the political right, especially the right here in America, it's gotten very mainstream to oppose these mandates and oppose these lockdowns. You're Ron DeSantis in Florida has done a very good job um, you know, leaning in that respect. So we'll see if they get enough popular buy-in. But for a huge portion of the population of the Western world, especially in liberal states and liberal countries, they're still very um, loyal to this narrative that, you know, they saved millions or billions or who's counting however many of lives with these illiberal mandates by, you know, forcing everybody to wear masks, forcing uh, small businesses to shut down, forcing, People to carry vaccine passes and censoring anybody who dissents. So they are really trying to create that sort of um, allegiance to this biomedical security state over people's own constitutional values. It is, I mean, there is no bigger story in the world right now than the forces that are at work to try to normalize this uh, all over the world. I mean, this is the new normal that they were kept alluding to and the one that they were trying to create from the very beginning from those initial... That initial lock, lockdown operation where they got the entire world to lock down. From that point on, they set a precedent that elites can essentially violate any right, anytime. time, uh, have this perpetual state of emergency, which justifies anything and is not related, you know, censorship and forcing people to wear masks and whatnot. instead is a biostat medical security state that essentially upends the rule of law and allows elites to do whatever they want in the name of this perpetual state of emergency. And by going along with these mandates, people are showing their um, essentially pledging their loyalty to this biomedical security state that does um, sort of supersede our own democracy, our own constitutional framework that was left to us by our forebears. And that's why you know you can't let your guard down when the mandates go away. It's easy to you know think, okay, well, that's been rolled back um you know that's behind us it's not behind us because the machinery is still there and it will be there as long as uh the truth does not come out about how horrific this response to COVID-19 was and the only way that'll happen is we have enough popular support to get justice for the crimes that have been done um not only is that important to ensure that it never happens again but justice has to be done for everybody who is victimized by the response to COVID-19. Millions of people lost their lives, um, their livelihoods. Children lost some of their brightest years, education. It's absolutely horrific. And for them, we need to get justice. This will be very clear to children. Just as future, just as preceding generations after Mao's is greatly forward. it seems baffling to them that anybody could have possibly gone along with that narrative that, you know, leaders in China at that time and experts around the world, could have just insisted that there were no, was no famine happening. In the clear-eyed view of hindsight, it's so obvious that communist policies had led to that famine. That's the same thing that's going to happen. Our children are going to look back to this, and you think what I'm saying is blistering right now? Wait until you hear what they have to say, because it's going to be so obvious, the sycophancy uh, in defense of this response to COVID-19 that we're hearing right now, is going to be so completely obvious, and they're not going to mince words or have anything nice to say about any elites, anybody who could have spoken up and chose not to and chose to sacrifice their childhood instead.
1: So, Michael, you're a San Francisco lawyer, and people might not necessarily understand why it is that COVID 19 and lockdowns and this whole realm has become your passion uh, over the last while. Like, how did that come about? Because the effects of it are on my front door. You know, here in San Francisco,
0: I mean, this has been ground zero for the lockdowns and the totalitarian response to COVID-19 within the United States. San Francisco was the first city in the United States to go into lockdown, followed shortly after by California being the uh, very first state to go into lockdown. Um, When I first moved back to California in, um, in late December of 2020, I mean, it felt like I was going back to Pyongyang. I mean, the streets were just empty. It was in strict lockdown. Everything was shut down. Small businesses completely shuttered. This is very real to me, and it's very personal to me. Uh, Going farther back than that, when I was still living in Georgia at the time, you know, just seeing those images, I mean, made me sick to my stomach. Just, you know, I was just your typical Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Economist reader at the time. Didn't really have a big platform of my own. Um, Seeing all of the elites, all of the leaders, all the journalists who I trusted in, suddenly, um, you know, endorsing this policy that would upend human rights for people all over the world, you know, condemn people to starve for nothing more than the crime of being poor. You know, I am, was actually quite liberal myself. Um, and to see people just abandon those principles and human rights, the entire liberal project so quickly, Maybe sick to my stomach. I mean, apparently it didn't mean as much to, to them, but it meant a lot to me. Uh, everything that I've been doing for the last two years has been in the name of human rights. I was so horrified by the crime that had just been committed um, it, for a narrative that made absolutely no sense. And I didn't see anybody taking that seriously the influence of the Chinese Communist Party on these policies that were turning the world into China. Uh, that was the scariest moment to me is realizing that there was nobody Uh, I couldn't find any officials, uh, leaders, celebrities, journalists, anybody taking seriously this question of the influence of the Chinese Communist Party on these policies. So I started writing about it and one thing led to another. And you know, now the book has been published and here it all is, here's the whole story. So um, you know, that is something that I wanted to get down in print to be left for future generations so they would have the whole story in hand. And I really encourage people to check it out because that's, you know, it's all in there.
1: Absolutely. And was there a moment, you mentioned the moment that you realized, wow, not a lot of people understand this level of influence. Where was there, when was the moment where you realized that something was really amiss in the response? So
0: thinking back to the beginning, the very beginning with COVID 19, you know, I, was always the statistics person, so that I was not particularly alarmed. And the fact that we now saw liberal elites all over the world endorsing these massive crimes, upending everyone's rights—you know, throwing small businesses under the bus, throwing children under the bus, throwing the poor under the bus—in just the most sickening way uh, for this narrative that made absolutely no sense was what sickened me. And so I saw Italy go into lockdown. I just had this double take, you know. Um, for as somebody who understands, you know, knows history and geopolitics, like Italy, you know, they're part of the free world. You know, it's a, it's one thing for China to do this in Italy. You know, I thought they were like us. Uh, what was I missing there? And then when I saw California go into lockdown, that's the moment that I knew something was seriously off about this because, you know, California is a fairly new state in the grand scheme of things. You know, it was the wild west not long ago. This idea of lockdown Closing everybody's business is shutting everybody out of work. It's so completely antithetical to the values, not only of America, but California in particular. Suddenly, you know, within a matter of days that had been normalized as supposedly liberalism uh, is somebody who actually took human rights and liberal values quite seriously. That is absolutely horrifying to me to witness. And when I started seeing, you know, not just developed nations, but developing countries, just tossing people out of work, um, you know, condemning them. Uh, that's why I knew that, you know, there was something very wrong here. And this is not the type of story where you can sit back and just hope it goes well. That's why I decided, you know, I had to actually get involved and speak up. You
1: know, Michael, it's very interesting what you're saying because it also helps uh, explain to me why uh, these lockdowns are the policy in communist China as we speak. Such a pleasure to have you on.
0: Thank you, Jan. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you all for joining Michael Sanger and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Jekielek. The Epoch Times is growing quickly and we're currently hiring an associate producer to join the Epoch TV team to work on both American Thought Leaders and Cash's Corner. It's a time of rampant misinformation and propaganda and you'll be part of the solution as we bring back honest journalism. If you're interested or you know someone who might be a good fit, Head over to ept.ms slash associate producer. That's slash associate producer, all one word. We look forward to hearing from you.